Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and more, all for free. And Sweet Process, focus on the work that matters. Document processes, procedures, and tasks all in one place so you can stay focused on growing your business. Angela Donahoe, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, thank you. So excited to be here. It's, it's great to have you here, Angela. Uh, Angela joined Donahoe Group in 2012 as a designer before becoming a licensed architect in 2016 and a partner in the business in 2018. Angela's passion for design and entrepreneurial spirit began early in life leading her to pursue architecture right out of high school, attending the School of Architecture and Planning at the University of Buffalo and receiving her Bachelor of Science in Architecture in 2009. Following a brief hiatus in which she gained real world experience as part of a small high-end residential firm in Brooklyn, she returned to Buffalo where she completed her Master of Architecture in 2012. At Donahoe Group, Angela holds the role of Chief Executive Vision Officer as well as project architect and manager. And she is a firm believer in the power design has over every aspect of our lives. Her goal as an architect and partner is to provide her clients with a positive experience throughout the design and construction process. 
and to collaboratively use design to discover and solve her clients' problems. So Angela, I, I know a little bit about your background and about your history. You're involved in a lot of the things we're doing at Entree Architect. And I'm very interested in your history at Donahoe Group. You know, I, I recognize your last name is the same name as the firm name. So there's history there. And I want to understand how you progressed up through the ranks of the firm to today you're a partner, you're leading the firm's vision and future focus as a legacy firm. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, how the challenges and the rewards of sort of growing up as a professional in a legacy firm and now leading that legacy firm. Before we get too deep into this episode, let's say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT and Sweet Process. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. The workload is piling up. With project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. Even better, RCAT.com is free to use and requires no registration, no credit card, no email. So visit today at RCAT.com and access the information you need now. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Let me ask you a question. Are you frustrated with how long it takes to get stuff done in your architecture firm? Or how chaotic and confusing things seem to get? Well, let me tell you about a much better way of getting work done. Let me tell you about an amazing new tool that will help you overcome the frustrating log jams in your architecture firm. Sweet Process. It's a simple yet powerful tool that lets you create clear step-by-step -step instructions for every task in your architecture firm. From writing proposals, to executing client work, to responding to client requests. So everything gets done more easily and more reliably. Plus, you'll have a central place where everyone who works for you, your employees, your contractors, even virtual assistants, can access your procedures anytime from any device. The best way to understand how Sweet Process streamlines your work is to start using it. The company offers a 14-day free trial, but listeners to this podcast, the Entree Architect community, you can try Sweet Process for 28 days free. Free of charge, 28 days. You don't even have to enter a credit card to get started. Just visit sweetprocess.com slash entrearchitect to start your free 28-day trial. That's sweetprocess.com slash entrearchitect. And let them know that you heard about them at the Entree Architect podcast. Sweetprocess.com slash entrearchitect. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So share your origin story. When did you discover your passion for architecture? Who or what inspired you to become an architect? And share your journey with us here at Entree Architect Podcast. So looking back at uh, my childhood and growing up, it's, it's pretty easy to see that I was interested in architecture, but I actually didn't know or I couldn't define it, I guess, as, as architecture until late into high school. 
And it was actually my uh, high school guidance counselor who suggested it to me. And, uh, you know, I, he, it was easy for him. It took him 30 seconds of, of having known me and, and looking at yeah. what I was interested in. And, and he knew immediately. And, and as soon as he said it, and I did a little bit of research into it, everything really clicked, you know, all of the, uh, leaf houses that I had built in the yard that had the door swings and the windows, you know, it should have been a really big clue. Um, but it, you know, it took someone looking at that from the outside to, to really, um, to really make me realize that that's what it was. Um, were you as a kid, were you more of an artist or a builder? Builder actually. Um, and that was why, and that's an interesting you say that because one of the reasons I, that architecture never popped in my own head was because I had this, um, this kind of preconceived notion that it was more on the art side and right. hand drawing was not really my thing. And so in my mind, those who were so closely correlated, I didn't understand that you didn't have to be excellent at hand drawing in order to be, in order to be an architect. Um, so, so I, I loved to build things and um, probably love to take things apart um, more, <laughs> but figure out how things work, how things went together. I loved putting, um, systems together. And I loved, you know, an imaginary play where, where, you know, I was the manager of the hotel and my, my poor sister had to be the person that went around and did all the work for it. You know, the, <laughs> all those types of that type of imaginative play where, where, um, interestingly enough, I, I think that's where I, I got kind of my entrepreneurial spirit. Um, a lot of that shows in the, in the things that I was interested in when I was in, in the things I was interested in when I was younger. Uh, so, so as you said in my bio, I, I applied for architecture schools and went right to University of Buffalo. Um, had a really great experience, kind of definitely obviously del delved into the world of architecture and design and really refined those skills. And I would say I kind of got away from the entrepreneurial side of it. I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to have a firm of my own, that I really, I really wanted to run a firm. It was always still back there in my interest but at the foreground was, was architecture, uh, and design, of course. Uh, so after I graduated from undergrad, I knew I wanted to take a break and kind of experience what was out there. And I worked for a firm in Brooklyn and the, um, the man that I worked for was, um, to use Michael Gerber's tech, um, his definitions, he was a technician to a T he, he was very talented or, and, and is very talented at, at a, a very talented designer, wanted nothing to do with the business side of it. They didn't have, you know, there was no office calendar. There was no organization. And, and for whatever reason, I really, I saw that as an opportunity to really help the business side of this, uh, of this design firm. And, and he really let me, he really let me do this as a, as you know, a person that came in as an intern. And I really was able to, to set up an entire organization system and, and manage this, this firm as, you know, as a undergraduate, um, you know, with my, with my undergraduate degree and, and, and I was doing design work and, you know, that learning that kind of thing from him as well. But, but really uh, the part I uh, really grew at and really started to understand my own talent at was running the business, was that kind yeah. of side of it. What a great opportunity for both of you, for, for you to have that opportunity to run a firm so young, but also for him to recognize his weakness and to allow you to do that is, was, a, was a huge uh, leap for him. I, I did a very similar thing with one of the early firms that I worked for, 
and I was sort of shooed away and pushed to the side and, and like, you don't know what you're talking about. Go back to the drafting board. Um, and so it was, it was such a great opportunity for you both to, to have that uh, experience. It, it really was. And, and it, like I said, it really reawoken my my goal to to run a firm or to have my own firm. Uh, and I even expressed this um, to the man I was working for, and he said, "Oh, you don't want to do that. It's you don't you don't want to do the business side of it. It's way too much work. It's way too much risk." I mean, this was also two thousand nine, so a, a terrible time. For, I think yeah. almost all business owners would have would have stated that at that a lot time. Of pessimism in two thousand nine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I know part of that that was part of his uh, attitude towards it. But um, I am I'm also a, a very stubborn and determined person. So I think him saying, you don't want to do that, you can't do that was also also served as, as really good motivation for me and and really reinforced why I wanted to do it and, and how I wanted to do it. And, and, you know, I wasn't sure exactly, you know, how that was going to play out, but I did know that I, I wanted to go back and get my master's. So that was part of the, the catalyst to bring me back to Buffalo to, to get my master's. And so in undergrad, I had met my now husband, um, but we didn't actually start dating until after, um, after undergrad, till I'd moved away, till we weren't in the same, the same city anymore, of course. And, uh, and so when I returned, he also went to Buffalo for his master's. He did not take a year off. So he was already um, halfway through the program when I returned and he had known, uh, my husband, Colin had had the idea that he wanted to work for his father, uh, guy, my now father-in-law, of course. And, um, and so when he graduated, he, he had been working in his dad's office since he was 16 on and off. And, and he went into a full-time position there. And I was able to experience a lot of that through him when I was there on, when I was visiting on the weekends and, and it was really, (sighs) I can't even, I can't really describe, uh, it's hard to describe the feeling that I got when I was, got to be a part of not only that, that the family, but a part of a little bit of part of the business. It it was really to hear them talk the way they talked about the projects that they worked on. So, you know, kind of just matter of fact, casually as part of family conversation, or we'd be driving to go out to dinner and, and it would be, um, we, he'd be pointing out houses that he had worked on or telling the stories about the clients. And I just, I really, really enjoyed, um, his, his passion for it, his talent for it and, um, uh, being a part of those conversations. And so, uh, about probably maybe halfway through my, my last year, my master's, I, I really, I knew I really wanted to work for, um, my father-in-law. I thought it would be, it was a small, it was a small business. It was, you know, he, we did commercial and residential, you know, I, it was, it was perfect. And, but again, this is, this is still 2011, 2012, and especially, you know, where I'm in central New York, we're always a little bit behind the, the, the curve on, on the, um, the economic curve, if you will. So, so, you know, I expressed him, I was like, I understand you can't just, you're a small firm. You can't just automatically hire another person, but I just want you to know if the opportunity exists, I would love to be a part of it. And so I, um, and so, you know, he, he gave me an honest answer. He said, I would love to be able to do that, but I, you know, I have to, have to kind of decide on the workload. And so after I graduated, there was a, um, a project that needed a 3d rendering and, and program like, um, 
3D programs and visualization has always been a really strong uh, point of mine. So, so we asked, oh, could you come in for a couple hours? And I said, sure. And then there was another project. And then there was another project. And then there was another project. And, you know, now I'm a partner. No, but um, <laughs> simple as that. Simple as that, right? But, but it really was, it really was kind of um, just a natural and organic piece. And it was interesting because there was kind of this feeling of, of needing to prove that I had value, right? Because it was the only reason I was being asked back was to prove that because there, I did provide some value. Uh, so that, that was kind of an interesting dynamic for a while of, of, and that, and I would say that's kind of a, a been a trait of mine for, you know, my entire life would, would be needing to prove that value. And I knew, um, I knew immediately that, how do I describe it? I, I knew that I wanted to be able to, I knew I wanted to be able to help my father-in-law in some of the pieces and parts that he didn't want to do, but he had a lot of respect for on the business side. And like my um, boss, when I was working in New York City, he, my father-in-law has always been very, um, very open about these are the things I, I want to happen, but I don't want to do take it and run with it from, you know, when we were both my husband and I were, were quite young in the, in the architectural world and, and not, didn't have a ton of experience. And he really let us experiment with some things. And he really let, let us kind of take the reins a little bit on, on some pieces that now looking back, I, I'm, it, it's kind of terrifying, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it was a great experience and, and it is, it was really great. And, you know, we we started having conversations about about partnership um, years before before it really happened um, because it, it's a it's a long process. It's there's a lot there's a lot to it, and uh, and guy really wanted to make sure that he really wanted to make sure that in passing down his company that it wasn't about what he wanted necessarily. Of course, that's really important, but it was also about what we wanted as well, because he knew if he pushed on us only what he wanted, it would never be successful. We would never be able, if we weren't all on the same page about where we want the company to go, we're not going to be able to be successful. Uh, we've had some really tough and really great conversations uh, about, and not, not to mention that, you know, working with yours, husband, um, or wife, your significant other has, has its, um, own complications to it, of course, with, uh, trying to be on the same page. And, and my husband and I are, are very fortunate because we are skilled and have interests in very different parts of the business, which, which leads to some very difficult, uh, pieces and parts of, of how to move forward, but it also it gives great value to the decisions that we're, we're able to make and, and how we're able to move forward. Um, so that was kind of a long-winded bio and then went right into the, to the, how did I get to where I am? Yeah, today, it, I well, it's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's, so I have, a, I have a bunch of questions. Okay. Um, going back to deciding that you wanted to work with your father-in-law and your mm -hmm. husband, um, was there any hesitancy to do that with knowing that they were family or, you know, I'm assuming that the relationships were strong before you decided that, right? That probably was one of the reasons why you could do that. But was there sort of any second guessing it at any point? So that's, that's a really great question. Um, and that actually, I think really speaks a lot to personality because 
I am, um, I'm not a look before you leap type of person. I'm a, oh, opportunity, go, and then figure everything else out along the way. Uh, versus my husband, who is look before you leap for a very, 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 very long time, observe all options, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and it, in, uh, I had a, a very, um, not difficult, but a but very honest conversation with Guy in the very beginning where he, where he said, cause we were just dating at the time we weren't, my husband and I weren't even engaged anything. And, and he said, you, you know, Angela, if, if you guys break up, I, I, can't, this is, this is a big deal. I can't just, I can't keep you on the staff. I can't, you would have to, um, I'd have to let you go because it's, this is, there's no way that could, could work. And, uh, and I, was that, I always, was that before he hired you or after he hired you? It was, it was during the time where I was doing some kind of freelance right. work for him and he had decided to officially hire me. So it was at the time he officially hired yeah. me that he kind of let me know that, that's, that would be the case. He that wanted was to make part sure. of his concern. Exactly. And he was, yeah. he was very concerned about that. Rightfully. So of course, uh, because at that time, I think there were, I, I believe there were five of us and I was the fifth. So, so that's, that's a big portion of, of who you have. And, um, and I always, I always make this joke. Um, I, my husband will, will, he'll groan when he hears me say this again, but, um, it, you know, I think it took maybe about a year before his father-in-law was joking that he would have to let Colin go, not me. Um, but, but, you know, we always, we always had that ongoing, that ongoing joke about, about who would, who would be the one that would have to go, you know, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, luckily, you know, obviously everything's, everything's worked out. My, um, my husband waited until we passed our very last exam to propose to me. I always wonder if I hadn't passed, would he have proposed the next <laughs> was, day? I don't know. He promises he would have. Pre prerequisite. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, um, so, so luckily, obviously that, that did really work out. And, um, I wouldn't say I was ever hesitant because again, I'm, I'm kind of a go for it and then we'll figure everything else out along the way type of person. But, but I know there was certainly, it wasn't something that was taken lightly. Once, once you were in the firm and you, you started having those conversations about partnership, how, how big was the firm at that point? I think we were probably seven people at that point. We, we kind of fluctuated up to nine at one point and now we're back down to seven. Cause there's a lot going on in that dynamic, right? There's, there's, there's a, there's a daughter-in-law coming into the firm talking about partnership with her husband and her father-in-law with other people in the firm who have been there longer may feel a little ownership of the firm. Was there any of that sort of uh, conflict and how did you handle that? So I, I was very, very concerned about that. Um, I, uh, being on the younger side in, um, in, you know, all business side and, and still actually the, the youngest person at our firm and kind of rising up to that level is a, um, I, I was very concerned about it. And, um, Fortunately, we have a really, really great team that is that we've been very careful to place where they want to be. So we That's key. make sure that, yeah, it really, it really is. And, and we try to be very open about those and have those conversations and, and make sure that everyone is where they want to be and that we understand where people want to go. And so we've always been very careful about that. Um, and, and I think... Um, it's, it's interesting 
it's interesting looking at it now versus how I felt, you know, maybe five years ago or four yeah. years ago about it. And, and I haven't really thought about that in a long time, actually. So this is, this is interesting. I, um, it's, it's interesting in a small firm because everyone wears so many hats. Right. And I think it kind of comes down to, in our firm, it comes down to who can answer the questions. And that's kind of how the hierarchy of, of things go. So if we can, if I can answer a question for someone or I can solve someone's problem, that's all the kind of position that I need to be in, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I think, I don't know, that's, that's, that's difficult. Um, is there, is there a formal organization? Is there a hierarchy in the firm? Technically, yes. Um, but I wouldn't say it's something that we're like, well, you're the managing partner of so-and-so and you need to go to, you need to talk to so-and-so about this because they're your boss. It's, it's certainly more of a collective, um, everyone, which is a, which is a cultural solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, everyone in, within the firm kind of knows who to go to for answers for what sort of question is it, yeah. if, you know, if it's a question about any sort of policy that our firm has or any sort of kind of, um, what are we thinking we're going to do with this? Or how do we want this system to run? People know that they're going to get that answer from me and they know they're going to get, um, they know to go to Guy for a different reason, to go to Colin for different reasons. So we, we've kind of, we've tried to do a pretty good job of establishing who's uh, in charge of what, who can make the final decision on what. Did you run into any conflict with employees sort of feeling like you were jumping, jumping the line? Not that I know of. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't think so. Because, because again, um, we are, so my husband, Colin and I, and um, Guy are the three licensed architects. And in New York state, you actually can't be a partner in the, the way our business okay. is set up. You actually can't be a partner unless you are licensed. So that kind of helped with the, yeah. um, with, it couldn't even be anyone else. Cause we're the people that are, we're the, we're the ones that were licensed in the firm. So right, right. that kind of, that kind of helped to, to right. So there was it. no expectation of the people who were already there that someday they could become the partner. And no, no. Got it. All right. Cause that helped, that made it easier. Oh, for sure. I've been in firms where a, a, a son had come in, uh, after, you know, years of a, a father running the business with the expectation that this son was going to take over the business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I could tell you there was conflict. I don't know if it was open conflict, but there was definitely, you know, cultural problems that had to be overcome. Um, and, you know, some of them were overcome pretty well and some of them were challenging. Um, so to, to, as you moved up through the ranks and you were planning this, this, uh, the succession plan, basically, as Guy starts thinking about his future and where he wants to go and, and where you and Colin would like to take the firm and first in collaboration with Guy, but eventually just the two of you, mm -hmm. um, what kind of planning did you do? Did you, uh, you said you had some pretty deep conversations about some of the things that were going on. So talk about those conversations a little bit and were those facilitated by professionals or did you do that on your own? I would say that that planning is still continuing to this day. Um, to be honest, we we've been, like I said, we've been having conversations for, for a long time. Um, we, we did speak with, um, we've, we have a great tax accountant and a great, um, bookkeeper. We had a, a lawyer. So we, we really, we made sure when it came to 
the the legal aspect to it, we knew that's not something that's not anything that we have, you know, that we have any knowledge about. So we, we made sure to talk to professionals about kind of the parts and pieces, the legality, the, the tax, the all that kind of kind of stuff. But um, as far as the actual direction the firm wants to go and and all of that, we um, we really we really brought it all the way back to talking about our values, why we had, a, uh, we have many, have had many great conversations about why do we want to do architecture? Why do we want to do the architecture that we do? How do we want to make our clients feel? How do we want to serve our clients? How do we want our employees to feel? What do we want to be able to provide for them? What's the, you know, what's, what's that path? What does that look like? Uh, do we want to stay the same size? Do we want to grow? Do we want to, what are our goals as a, as a business? So, so we've really, we kind of had a, um, we do a, a meeting every Thursday evening. We wrap it in with dinner and, you know, to kind of make it more of a, um, less of a working on a Thursday night, more of a, a kind of a fun, just relaxed. We sit on the couch, kind of have a drink, have a conversation thing. And, and we had, um, it's a little bit more casual now, more just kind of what's going on. But in the very beginning, when we started it, we, we had kind of, uh, we had an agenda set up of, of these different pieces going through everything from, um, marketing and and our brand and our values we went through our whole business organization and and really i mean a lot of talking it, it's not, it sounds kind of ridiculous but but i really think um communication is is such an important part to this um one of the things this is a little bit off of of what um the question was but but a little bit one of the things that was difficult and that we wanted to start changing um from, you know, from the very beginning was people had a really strong association with our, uh, of our company with Guy. And I think that's, that's really natural. And that's yeah, I would really normal. That's probably normal. Right. And, and I think that, um, and so one of the things that, that Guy actually recognized right away was that if, if people continue to just identify him, it, he's never going it, to, it's going to make the transition much, much more difficult. So it was more than just taking one of us along on on all of his, you know, on, on initial meetings or on big project um, presentations. It was it was about how he changed his language around how he presented things and how he let people know about different responsibilities within the firm. So not not just us, but about how we are a team and how we are a group and how it's it's not just him. It is, you know, it's this whole business that's putting this piece together. Um, and that was in just his way of changing that language changed our way of thinking about it and our way of how we present ourselves, uh, which was a really important shift in, in, and I think really important in the overall transition planning, because, you know, I mean, we all know the, the big architecture firms that are just known by one person. And, and you know that there's so much, especially being in the architecture world, we know it's not that one person that's doing right. all that work. It's, it's a whole group. It's a really big collaborative effort. And, and even in, you know, even when you have a sole proprietor, there's still a team of people that are helping them to put their work together. And so I think Guy's ability to kind of take himself and take his ego or his need for individual recognition out of it has been so crucial for how we have been able to promote this um, and and kind of ease this transition to being just him to the three of us and and not even just the three of us honestly the the entire firm the group the whole team. 
Yeah, that's so important. And and it, it it sounds like that came from a few different directions. One is he's he's rebuilding the brand, right? The brand was originally Guy Donahoe. Yes. And now the brand is Donahoe Group. And Correct. he had to change not only the brand itself, like the, all the graphics and the, and, the, and the brand, the name and all of that, but also the message that he presented. You said the way he spoke was differently. You, he probably deferred more to you and Colin at certain points to, to highlight the fact that they are in charge. And I, you know, that's not a question that for me, that's a question for Angela. Um, that's all part of the brand. And internally, that's part of, again, brand, but it's also cultural that he's he needs to do that internally as well as externally that the that the staff needs to understand that those responsibilities are being divided up among different people that they should be asking different people different questions at certain times and so having that be very intentional guy sounds very wise i've met guy once in a call that you and i had um i felt that right away but the more you talk about him you can see that much of the success that you've had with this transition uh, is is much from his wisdom and making those decisions, seeing what, what the problems may be and taking action on those those problems. That's that's so true. Um, don't tell him I said that, though, because he'll get a big head. But, <laughs> we'll edit no, that part uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really been... Um, and, and when you're talking about a, a legacy firm, we, we talk about the the challenges, right? The the opportunity, but but the um, the gift that is this wisdom of the experience that that he has had and that he's had to go through to create this firm and the the experience. That's I mean I can't even I can't imagine not having that to go back to when you know I have a big conflict. Well, you know, and I can ask him how did you handle this or you know how do you handle this diplomatically? How do you yeah. You know, anything from dealing with a contractor to dealing with clients to dealing with internal issues, you know, it's it's just a fantastic resource. And um, and it's been, you know, that's one of the absolute you know, best parts about about being in the being able to not only just um, not only just have, you know, be taking over this this firm, but to be actually work collaborative collaboratively with him you know, and experience that alongside with him and go through these, these issues. It's, it's, I, I don't know how Colin and I would do it um, without having that experience. So it's yeah. um yeah, it's really great. I can imagine that that's very important in a family situation like yours, but that's also important in every firm that plans on continuing beyond the founders, that that institutional knowledge needs to be uh, recognized and, and culturally somehow documented right whether it's whether it's through story where he's just telling the story and teaching the people below him or whether it's like literally documenting it in video or audio or in writings that he does in order for that institutional knowledge doesn't that it doesn't walk out the door when that leader walks out the door um, it's so important to recognize that and to capture that before it's too late it's it's so true, and and I love the idea of, of of a video or you know writings and and things like that. Guy is a, a storyteller, so he is. It's always stories, and and as I spoke about in the beginning, you know, he, we're always talking about stories about about clients and and how and how this certain um, piece came to be or how something shifted in the design or you know always talking about those kind of things. So it's it's interesting. Um, and and only now I think am I really 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 starting to recognize not only just the the story 
telling aspect of that, but the value um, that I've been soaking up over the years of of how to handle situations or or ways to to deal with um, different things that come up. It's it's really it's really fantastic. Are there any other rewards that come with building a legacy firm, taking over a firm from from uh, someone who's been doing it for a long time? Oh, so I mean, certainly there's the the reputation that already exists is is really great. Um, you can't. It's hard to build reputation, and it takes time, and it takes you know it's to not have to. We when Colin and I were first um, licensed and first taking on a lot of projects on our own, we we really we had to battle the the being young in the profession. Um, and that was and that was really hard for us because we felt like we worked so hard and we've, you know, we have all this knowledge and no one's taking us seriously. And um, but the benefit that we had is that as opposed to someone who's trying to start that business off from the ground is that we had a company backing us that's that's been in existence. We have a principal architect who has, you know, years and years and years of experience. So, so that was, that was really, really a great, um, you know, a great benefit and a great opportunity right there. Um, one of the, on the, the other, also, you know, having an existing business, having that, that's always really great existing business relationships. That's wonderful. Um, I think one of the challenges kind of along those same lines is you have an existing business, you have existing systems, you have existing teams and, you know, you have these things that are ingrained and it's taken us a little bit to kind of um, take a look at how all the parts and pieces fit together. And well, why does that exist the way that it, that it did? And does it have to, and can we rework this? And, you know, I, and um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the, the mantra, um, why be good when you can be great? So I have a, I have a tendency to, um, I have a tendency to try to rework things a lot that I has to be kind of reined in. Um, that okay, no, it's th- don't don't take apart this system, not yet. You know, we just put it in place. But but really, I think that's that's one of the the challenges. But but also, it's um, I think it's a great opportunity from the the, you know the first generation of the firm too, right? To have fresh eyes on a, on a situation because it's so easy to get ingrained in the way that you've always done things. And it's so easy to um, not even not even see the opportunity that exists to to kind of shift things a little bit to make it a little bit easier. Uh, so it's, I, that's been, um, that we've had some, some really great things that we've been able to shift and change internally um, just because we're, we can look at it from a little bit of a, a different perspective. And different technology, right? I mean, that's always a generational yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Was there any resistance with any of those changes and how the business ran? Definitely. Um, I think change is always met with resistance, right? Um, and and I think especially especially when things aren't necessarily really bad, um, it's hard to enforce change when you're just trying to make things a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so the the one really great part about that is, um, as I you know I, I think I mentioned this before, but but Guy has you know a great respect and great interest in a lot of the business side of things, but it's never been something he's wanted to have yeah. to execute. So so having his support 
in the background um, has been imperative to to some of these changes and things I've I've wanted to do um, or things we've wanted to shift around as we go through it. Yeah, it sounds like that all three of you have done work on your weaknesses and your strengths, understanding uh, in the, yourselves as individuals what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and others being able to recognize what your strengths are and deferring the things that you're weak at to someone who is strong at them. So, you know, having Guy having built the business and having his systems in place, but then having Angela come in who is who is passionate about this, who is who is who loves the the systems and wants to build them better, to tear down the good to make them great. It takes a lot of courage to tear down something good, right? In order with with the expectation that it may be great. You you have to have faith in someone to do that. And so I think that that is important that 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 weakness and strength analysis uh, is done both independently among yourselves, but also, um, you know, for the benefit of one another, for them to understand your strengths and weaknesses. That's why Anne-Marie and I work so well. And you said the same thing about you and Colin, is that, you know, your strengths are Colin's weaknesses and your weaknesses are Colin's strengths. Same with Anne-Marie and myself. Uh, And we recognize that very early and now I defer everything that I'm weak at to her strengths and everything that she's you know, weak at, she defers to me. And we become ultimately, I say it all the time, that we are the ultimate, the best architect in the world, right? Because, <laughs> because we have somebody who's really good at design and loves passionately about design and how architecture ends up being built. And I love the business side and mm-hmm. it just, it works. And so I think understanding those strengths and weaknesses are really important. It is. And, and that's, I love that example of, of together being the, the best architect, right? And, and it's, um, it, I wouldn't say that, that Colin and I recognized it very early, though. Unlike what you said, it's, it's taken us years to really pull that apart and kind of take our own, um, not necessarily ego, but our own need to do everything or our own need to be really good at everything, I guess is, is a better way to put it. Um, it's taken us a little bit to, to really figure that out and to really kind of call each other on that. And, and, um, you know, I, like I talked about our Thursday, our Thursday night meetings where we're having these conversations, you know, guy has had to say a lot of times, you know, you're both right. You're just looking at it from different (laughs) sides. (laughs) He's had to be our moderator. He's, you know, but, but it's been, it's been really great to to have those kind of, you know, deep conversations about and and really call each other out and be honest with each other. And, and I think it's interesting because I think um, you have to have a certain, a certain type of relationship and it doesn't necessarily have to be familial, you know, but you have to have a close enough to relationship relationship to know that you can tell someone you're not good at that and still, and that your overall relationship can survive. That's, that's difficult. That's, that's not an easy thing. And, uh, and we're, we're fortunate that we've um, gained the bravery to be able to have those real conversations because as you said, I mean, that's, it's so important. And, and that is what, you know, what is, you know, will help us to be successful is to work together in that way and and let go of the things we're not as good at. Yeah. (laughs) One of the reasons why we learned that so early in our careers is because we tried to design something together when we were dating and we almost killed each other. (laughs) 
and, and, the, and the argument was over the fact that she liked to sketch in you know individual sketches like she would sketch and then she would you know do a layer and she and yeah. I would just scribble over the same drawing over and over and over again <laughs> and we were trying to draw on the same sketch and, and that it was very close to the end of our relationship that day and so we both discovered very early that we're not going to do that anymore <laughs> I'm going to do this you do that that's your lane this is my lane and ever since then it's just gotten better and better that's um, great so you are the chief vision officer, right? Is that what that was? Chief executive vision officer. Chief executive vision officer. <laughs> what does that mean? And, and well, let's start with what does that mean? What is your role with that, with that title? Yeah, so we, um, we went through and did a whole kind of business organization where we laid out all the different roles in the business and, and who, was, was a, you know, who was responsible for that. Because that, very, very, very e-mythy. Yes, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> And so we, because for a couple of reasons, you know, we wanted to make sure that all the responsibilities were being covered by someone was the point person on it because having multiple people as point people just is, the, you know, how things don't get done. Um, and we also wanted to, to kind of set up some planning for how we were going to transition things that Guy is responsible for now and what he wants to be able to hand off over the next couple of years and, you know, and making sure that nothing was, was lost in, in that transition. And so the chief executive vision officer, which is quite a mouthful, was kind of born out of the fact that we didn't want there to be a CEO that was in charge of everyone else. That was the top of the, the, the page. Um, we really wanted to create, we wanted our kind of um, chief level to be all the same level. Um, so we kind of created that, that executive vision officer to be the person that was, um, the person that was in charge of, or was the point person more of, of where we're going as a, as a firm and how, and the parts and pieces. And that does really encompass finance. It encompasses marketing and encompasses human resources. So it does cover, it's kind of an umbrella that goes over that, but we really wanted to make sure that it didn't, come off as the hierarchy of one person being the boss because right. again that it's it's a delicate it's a delicate piece and and that seems kind of silly for just for it just to be on a chart and a name yeah. but, but that was yeah. important to us to make sure that that was clear um that it wasn't one person that had the final say it, it was um you know that that we're all kind of on that same right. level so it sounds like you're co-CEOs and you each sort of have a strength and and responsibility within that leadership position exactly exactly right. yep so as, a, as the leader of the future, right, of the vision of, of uh, Donahoe Group, what does it look like? What does it look like in the next three to five years? Where are you going with the, with the firm? Yeah, so our hope is, um, and, and I will tell you that this, was, this um, plan of expansion was supposed to happen in the beginning of 2020. That obviously did not happen. So, so we've kind of reevaluated a little bit, right? Sometimes you got to hit pause, yeah. and uh, and so so really, what we're looking to do is we are looking to grow a little bit um, because having three architects out of seven is makes makes for a pretty top heavy um, top heavy firm. So so we're looking to expand a little bit and be able to better delegate um, the time and the resources that we have to our strengths. And, and again, taking back to that strengths and weaknesses conversation, giving, making sure that our, um, that everyone's doing the job that they're best suited for. So we're looking to kind of expand and, and be able to hire some people that will, um, you know, maybe, maybe even initially it's, it's about drafting and about kind of creating that support work, but we're really looking to, and I kind of have like a 10 year 
plan of, of hierarchy of, of how people, you know, people were hiring and advancements and all this kind of stuff, but, but we're looking for, we're looking to grow and we're looking to continue this, this firm, um, down the road and, and create kind of a, a, a stable system that will, that will support us as, as architects and, and what we want to do on, on both the residential and commercial side of things. If there was 28, 29 year old architect listening who found themselves in a position similar to yours, where, um, you know, you found a firm that, you know, resonated with you. Maybe it's family firm, maybe it's not, but, but it looks like it's a firm that you'd love to stay with and transition and someday maybe become uh, part of the leadership. What would be the one thing that you would suggest to that person who's listening right now? That's, that's great. Um, I would say to, um, to take responsibility for things that may even be um, obviously not things you can't handle, but, but if you see an opportunity for something that you think that you would be good at, or you think you can take off of your higher ups plate, offer to do it, help offer to say, you know what, I have an idea about this. Can I go with this? Can I help you with this? Can I take over this piece? Can I reach out to that person? Always just be looking for that opportunity because I can almost promise that that person, the business owner is overwhelmed and overworked and stressed and has a lot going on. And, and if they're not, that's fantastic. But (laughs) if they're not, um, you know, there are certainly things that they're not able to do. We can't do everything. So, so being able to having someone to step up and say, Hey, I, I can do that. That's, that's the best thing in the world. Take being, having someone that will execute something for you and, and take care of it and make your vision come true. That's, that's amazing. And then what would you say to the other side of that equation of the firm owner who has a young architect in, in their office, um, that's interested in taking over some of the responsibilities and the firm owner is a little scared about that, a little hesitant mm-hmm. about that. It's not so sure I want to hand over part of my firm to a young, a young gun. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person? Yeah, that's, that's harder. Cause obviously I haven't, I haven't been on that side, but, but what I would say in, in that case is um, that you should really think about what do you really want for the future of your firm? How do you want this? Do you want it to be done when you're done? Cause that's, that's a certain path, right? Yes, that's a path yes. that can happen. Do you want to be able to pass it on? And if, if you do want to be able to pass it on, what are the qualities that you're looking for in the person that you're looking to pass it along to? How, what do you want to personally be able to impart on, on this younger person um, no matter who it is and, and start thinking about what that, might look like in the future and and really do some like real soul searching about that because it time passes so quickly and it is um I, I think the more time that you can spend thinking about that and the more time you can spend involved with that person who you want to have takeover or shows interest in that the better because that gives you, if you're worried about losing control, that gives you more control. That gives you the ability to mentor this person, to shape this person, to make sure that they're going to carry on the business, you know, the way that you want to in conjunction with what they want. And um, so I would just say the first thing would be to, to figure out what you want to do with the business and where you want that to be. 
Yeah, very wise advice. Uh, Angela, what's one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I feel like that last question was kind of kind of it. That was my pre my. You could you could expand on that or just yeah. say that was it. <laughs> no, that was that was what I was thinking um, before. But but really, I think more broadly, um, I'm going to say communicate. And I and I realize that's a really broad answer, but I think communication with with the people that are part of your team and with the people that you see being in charge in the future or, or that you share, um, partnership with now, I think is, is imperative making sure everyone understands what's, what's important to you and you understand what's important to them. I I think that is absolutely crucial to, to being able to run not only a successful business, but, but to being happy and being content in what you're doing and and making sure that, that you have a a great, um, group of people around you and a great environment to, to be in every day. Angela Donahoe is her name. Donahoegroup.com is the website. You can learn all about the group and what Angela's doing over there. Uh, Angela, this, this is an important conversation that we just had because I think there's a lot of people who, uh, who find themselves in those positions, right, of leadership and young architects moving into leadership, uh, both family-focused and not family-focused. Um, there's a lot of conversation that, that should be had. So I, be, I hope that this is the beginning of some of those conversations within firms uh, and in the profession within our community of the entree architect community. I hope it's the beginning of that conversation that that should be had and continue to have. So thank you for starting that conversation here at Entree Architect Podcast and for sharing your knowledge here at the podcast. Thank you. Um, I, I completely agree. And and as you always talk about, our, our overall goal as a community should be to, to get better, right? We want to create better architecture firms. We want to create better architecture. And, and I really think the best way to do that is to pass that knowledge on from generation to generation. There's no point in starting over every every single generation. Let's let's continue that, that knowledge and continue that structure and we can continue to be better and, and better. Very well said. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We are curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. We have ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, a supportive architect community, and Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for you, small firm architects. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership. Come join me and hundreds of Entree Architect peers at entrearchitect.com slash join. That's entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.